Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Okay, but let's start just by asking, if you're like me, you might be sitting in the crowd, you might be like, Advent, what? What the heck is Advent? What does that mean? What is, what is being communicated here? And so Advent just means primarily coming, or it means arrival. Uh, this season is a prompt, right, that moves us towards pausing and remembering the coming of Jesus that is celebrated at Christmas. And so traditions vary. You'll see here candles and a wreath, but the reality behind that, what it this points to is this season cultivates in us a remembering of the longing that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. As we look forward to the celebration of him coming into the world, we remember the longings that he fulfills and the longing that he will fulfill in full when he comes again. So the first candle that we, that we lit today is hope, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about is hope. So maybe let's just frame this just with a story. Okay, so World War II, there's a rabbi. His name was Hugo Grin. He was born in 1920. And he used to tell of his experiences in Auschwitz as a boy. And one of the stories that he would relay commonly was he would set up the background. Food was a scarce commodity. People would scrabble and scrape any kind of scrap that you could find in these camps. And the inmates took care to preserve every scrap that came their way. And when the festival of Hanukkah arrived, Hugo's father, he took a lump of margarine. This is, this is solid gold. He took a lump of margarine. And to the horror of young Hugo, he lit it as fuel for the light that he would light at the beginning of Hanukkah. And he challenged his father. He said, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Like, that is, that is solid gold that you're burning. Why are you doing that? And his father replied, we know that it is possible to live for three weeks without food. But without hope, it's impossible to live properly for three minutes. So according to this Holocaust survivor, this is someone who has survived the darkest impulses and drives of humanity, someone who has experienced tremendous stress and loss and despair, the extremes of the human experience. According to him, hope is something that we need. And in some ways, it's more valuable even than food. So I guess just today, as we kind of set the stage, right, we want to ask the questions of, okay, do we have a proper understanding uh, of what this thing is? What exactly is hope? What is this thing that Hugo looked at and said, this is more essential than food itself? So let's just start with that question of what is hope, right? The modern idea of hope, it seems to be you, you wish for something, right? So I hope, I have three younger brothers, I hope they left me some pizza. That was a common common refrain, right? I hope they didn't all the, eat all the pizza. I hope there was still pizza left for me. Um, there was kind of like, in modern use, it seems like it's, you expect, but there's no certainty that it's going to come about. It's just kind of like, I hope my wife doesn't find out that I ate the last of her favorite treat. You know, it's not actually going to happen. She's going to find out. But like, I really wish, there's no certainty that that's going to happen, but I really wish she wouldn't find out and that I wouldn't get yelled at. I, I hope I win the lottery. It's used today in a way that's like, I have this strong desire, but there's not really any assurance that I'm going to get that desire, right? I hope people read my Christmas list and don't just buy me things that they think I'll like. We know it's not really going to happen, but 
this is strong desire with no real assurance. And so hope, I think we can say hope is this, it's this feeling, right? It's this anticipating of a future that is better than the past. But, but this kind of like, without having this fulfillment piece, is, is this what Rabbi Hugo means when he's talking about it's impossible to live without this properly for three minutes? Is, is this what we mean when we talk about Advent's first candle? Do we mean some kind of unfounded optimism? Is the birth of Jesus, is it some kind of wish fulfillment? Or is it something more? What do we mean when the New Testament talks about Jesus being our hope? And I think that those questions will uh, lead us into maybe one of the best places to start is, okay, well, let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look at the Bible. Let's say, what does the Bible mean when it talks about hope? So when you look at the Old Testament, you're going to see two main Hebrew words. So you're going to say, you're going to see yahal, and my Hebrew is kind of rusty, yahal, something like that. And it means to wait for. So you have the story of the flood. Uh, Noah had to yahal for weeks before the floodwaters went down. He had to wait. And the other Hebrew word that you're going to run into is kavah. And it also means to wait, but it has another piece to it. The, the, the root of that word is cord. So like a cord or a strand, like a rope. And, and what happens when you pull a cord tight, you, you create a state of tension. There's now tension in that rope. There's tension in that cord. And if you snap it or you cut it, that's when it'll break and there'll be this release. But as you hold this cord, there's tension. And so to wait, there's this added thing of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting and it's about this tension and this expectation, waiting in tension. And the natural question that follows up on that is, okay, but what it, we're waiting for something, but what are, we, what, are we waiting, what are we waiting for? What is that tension? What is, what is going to be the resolution of that tension? What is going to be the thing that releases that tension? And you find in Isaiah, Isaiah in 8, 18, he says, I will kavah for him. The hope that Isaiah had was the hope for God himself to act. And this is what, when you read through the Psalms, this is what you find all through the Psalms. In almost every case of Old Testament hope, Old Testament hope is waiting. It's this tension, this, this expectant waiting for God himself to act. And so one of the things that we can pull out of this, I think, is that biblical hope is based on a person. And this makes it distinct from optimism, right? Optimism is, and, and I get, I get uh, accused of being an unrelenting optimist, okay? So I'm very familiar with this. Uh, optimism is, is focused on how circumstances could improve, right? You're in a circumstance, and you're like, okay, this is what's around me. These are the walls that I'm found inside, and I'm just going to look at the silver lining of this thing. I'm in these circumstances, and I know that there's good in here as well as bad, and I'm just going to look at the good, but optimism is only possible within the walls of the thing that we're sitting in. It's only possible in those circumstances. And biblical authors, they will often say, even if there is no positive thing that you can see, even if there is no silver lining, they choose to hope in the middle of that anyways. And they commend hope even when there is no silver lining. It's something deeper. It's hope in the middle of darkness. It is hope in the middle of seemingly hopeless circumstances. 
Hope in the biblical sense is is more than just optimism. It's more than just seeing the bright side of a situation. It is hope in God to act. Hope in his ability to take a dark situation and to bring light into it. Hope is the concept that God has surprised us out of seemingly impossible situations before, and he can do it again. And so there's an important difference between the the meaning of the word hope when we kind of write, I hope there's some pizza left, um, and, and what we read in the dictionary and kind of what we see recorded in scripture, right? It's not a difference of meaning necessarily, but I think it's a difference of the best word I have is scale, It's almost a difference of scale. In common usage, hope is, I hope this will happen. And in scripture, hope is expectation for the future based on the promise of God. Something that we can't see, but that we will see because God has promised this. And God does not take his promises lightly. It's almost an issue of how certain something is, right? In the common sense, our hope is based on human strength and human intelligence and human honor. And in scripture, hope is based on the strength, the intelligence, the honor, and the promise of God, something infinitely more secure than what we find in humankind. God's promise is not something that he takes lightly, and it's secure because unlike people, he cannot lie, and he can stand in his way, and nothing can stand in his way to fulfill what it is that he's promised. He's the foundation, he's the guarantor, he's the provider of all that it is that we hope for. Okay, so God's past faithfulness is what motivates our future hope. Biblical hope comes from seeing his character and trusting in nothing except his character as we move forward into the future, right? Regardless of circumstances, regardless of silver linings, regardless of where it is that we're sitting, right? This is why in Psalm 39, 7, the psalmist says, who else can I yahal for? Who else can I wait for? Who else can I hope for? And the answer is nobody. And so I want to move to this concept. One of the things, or here, let me rephrase this. So biblical hope, right? God's ability to act, to bring about a future that is better than the past, even in the darkest of situations. And there's an implication here that I want to draw out. And that implication is that there is no such thing as absolute darkness. Yes, I'm speaking metaphorically. There, there is no such thing as absolute darkness. Uh, there is no darkness so solid that there is no possibility of light. There is no darkness that the light will just bounce off of. Light will always chase out darkness Moving out of metaphor, when we take scripture seriously about who it tells us that God is and what he is like, in every situation there is always the possibility for a future that is better than the present. God stands over creation, right? There's nothing that can lock him out. There's nothing that can prevent him from acting. There is always the possibility for things to change for the better. There is no absolute darkness. There is no situation that is truly hopeless, Now, this is where it starts to interact with our experience. Because, Matt, what about the times where we feel hopeless? To say that there is not a time that is truly hopeless is not to say that we won't feel like there are hopeless situations. Uh, Some of us are going to look at our bank accounts or our businesses, and we're going to feel despair thinking, how can I provide for myself? 
How can I provide for my family like this? Every day brings more debt until it feels like we're drowning. And we look at that situation and we feel hopeless. Some of us struggle with evil, sinful behaviors and addictions, and we hate ourselves for it. We hate that we can't break free. We hate even more on some level that we actually kind of like it, even while it devours us, even while it poisons the well of our existence. We despair of ever being free. Some of us struggle with life itself, And I think it would be ignorant to pretend that this isn't a case here in a meeting like this. Um, Some of us wish that we could just end it. We struggle with thoughts that would say death would be preferable to this. Some of us have in the past planned to end our lives. Some of us might even still be there even now and this coming holiday season is only going to make that worse. Some of us have done things that we feel we can never be forgiven for. And we feel it's just over. I'm a dead man walking. The rest of life is just me dealing with my trauma until damnation catches up to me and I get the end that I deserve. And I think in each of these situations, God would point to who he is and who he has shown himself to be and he would say, look, I love you. John 3.16. He'd say, look, I have all power. I created everything that you know. Genesis 1. And he would say, I can take the hard and the painful things from the middle of darkness, and I can make something beautiful out of them. And then I think in that place he would say, trust me. I can do this. Lean not on your own understanding." And I guess even as I say this, right, I'm painfully aware that when you're in a place of darkness and, yeah, we're kind of, we're going into darkness so we can kind of bring about the light, right? But sit with me in the darkness for for just a bit. Um, I guess I'm painfully aware that even those words, right, uh, those words, they might just seem like words, right? They might just bounce off when you find yourself in a place of darkness, in a place of hopelessness. And there's a sense that in which all we can do in these situations is to call on God. God, would you shine your light into the middle of my darkness? Would you come? Would you meet me? Um, Light of the world, meet me in the middle of my darkness. To call on him to breathe his breath, his spirit, his life, his hope, his joy into us. And then to trust him in the painful waiting that comes afterwards. This is what we see in so many of the Psalms. Uh, Okay, we're going to get a little bit more depressing here. (laughs) What about about the darkness, or sorry, what about hopelessness in the face of the darkness of this world? Yes, we struggle as individuals, but it's not just as individuals. We struggle as the human race. And not only the human race, the whole world groans under the weight of darkness that sits on it. There is evil in this world, and we see it in ourselves, and we see it in our failings, and we see it in the way that we hurt our friends and family. We see it in this world writ large. The wars, the murder, the lies, the greed, the sex trafficking, the abuse of elders, the abuse of children, the killing of innocents, the corruption of justice, the inability to forgive. We see it in the hate The jealousy, the tribalism, the inability to hold civil conversation, the inability to love someone who disagrees with me. And it would be so easy to despair. It would be so easy to be consumed 
by the darkness. Uh, What could we possibly do that hasn't been tried in the last 5,000 years to fix this? As time goes on, it seems like we simply invent new, more efficient ways of exploiting and killing more people at less risk to ourselves than the previous generations could ever have imagined. And it would be so easy to give in to despair and to despair of improving anything. And all of this, it clamors at us And it wants us to see it as an absolute darkness of the soul. Something that would extinguish any light. And it is into that place that we read in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 9, the true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. And in 14... The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And into the middle of our thick, heavy darkness, Jesus comes and the corner of the curtain is lifted and light spills under it to touch us where we lie curled on the floor. And the prophets who sat in the Old Testament, they waited. They waited with tension for God to act even when they couldn't see the way out. They waited and they hoped on him because they trusted in his promise and who he's shown himself to be. That first Christmas into the darkness of history, light spilled into the darkness. The true light came into the world. And there was a glimpse of a power that would dispel darkness. A power that would reunite us with the person of God. That would give us forgiveness. That would change our very hearts and nature to be like him. That would heal us. That would cause us to love what is good and to hate what is evil. And that would transform us on a deep level. And not just us, but a power to transform our world. A wisdom and a power of sufficient depth and gravity to answer every evil. And to change the very source from which all evil springs, the human heart. And the coming of Jesus shows that there is no absolute darkness. There is no situation that is too far gone for hope. Jesus shows that not only is God able to act to bring about the seemingly impossible, but he wants to. And scripture says that what was available that first Christmas, what was seen that first Christmas, is available right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And the invitation, I think, right as we reflect on this, I think the invitation before us is there's an invitation to step into this hope that Jesus holds out. In our hour of greatest need, God acted and entered this world. We can trust him even when we feel that we are surrounded by darkness. We are never too far gone. There is no situation that is ever hopeless. In all situations, we can call on him. In all situations, we can trust him. And if we choose to cling to him, We can hope in a future that will be better than our past. 
for those of us wrestling with hopelessness, I think God would say, I am here. I am working. Even if you can't feel it. Even if you can't see how the situation would change. Choose to trust me even in the painful tension of waiting. I will be faithful to what I have promised you. And this call is the same, I think, for those of us who know Jesus and those of us who maybe haven't made that decision yet. Uh, right? Trust me. And we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't say that things will be easy. Maybe you got that from the rest of the sermon. Uh, that doesn't mean that we all always understand. But uh, Jesus holds out, right? You can trust me and you can have hope in the future. And so I guess I, I just want to conclude with this thought. And so as we reflect on the first Advent candle of hope, right, we think of those first prophets. They waited for the first coming of Jesus on that first Christmas. They were waiting on God to fulfill his promise. And they yearned and they hoped in a better future based on what he had promised them. And in answer to that, God himself came down. The word became flesh. And this Christmas season, right, we have, we have access to, to everything, to all the spiritual blessings in the person of Jesus. But even in that, we still connect with this same sense of longing. The world is not as it should be. And in this season, we again wait with tension and expectation, with hope for Jesus to return again and for all things to be set right, for the darkness of this world to be pushed aside by the coming kingdom of light. We long for a time when evil is dealt with in us, in our community, in Carlton Place, in our world, and a time when God's kingdom and reign comes in full. And we say, Maranatha, which means come. We say, we say, come, Lord Jesus. We wait in a dark world in hope for you, the light of life to come in full. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.